everyone, and welcome to another episode of Don't Wait Till Pigs Fly, a podcast conversation to share their secrets of thriving while living with chronic illness. Here's Nancy Becker. Hey, everybody. I am Nancy. I'm the founder and president of Invisible Entrepreneurs. One out of every two adult Americans lives with at least one chronic illness, often called a hidden illness. The disability community is the largest minority in the world, yet instead of feeling inclusive and wrapped in camaraderie, most of us feel alone, unvalued, and unworthy. We need doctors who understand us and colleagues and family members who believe us when we tell them there's something going on with our health. Just knowing the simple fact that we're not alone and still have much to offer can be life-changing. In this podcast, we share tips and strategies, knowledge, and support. In other words, hope for those who are looking for resources to help them maintain a thriving, successful life. Do you have a chronic illness? Well, here at Don't Wait Till Pigs Fly, we have conversations that share the tools and mindsets others use to make their lives better. It's always good to know that there are others out there that have dealt with similar challenges And our guest today is going to share with us their history and what they've learned along the way. Welcome, Carly Hudson. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today, Nancy. I so appreciate it. Well, I'm really excited to, it's (laughs) been a long time since we talked originally, and I want to catch up. I want to relearn some of the things that you do that bring you joy and fulfillment to your life and what all that has to do with chronic illness. So tell us a little bit about who Carly Hudson is. Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a doctor of chiropractic, um, which I arrived at kind of as a um, an exploration through all of my chronic illness. Um, I started off my life at seven months old, um, contracting bacterial meningitis, um, which back in the 80s had about a 5% chance of survival. So I'm, I'm gra- very grateful to be here. The, the fabulous people at Children's Hospital saved my life, but it was everything that came next that I had to seek out the answers to make my life worth living. Um, I had my first traumatic brain injury during that illness, and it left me with a lot of movement disorders, memory, speech disorders. I was profoundly hearing impaired, deaf in my left ear um, until about three years ago. And I did PT and, and, and all the basics, basically told this is as good as it's going to get. And as good as it's going to get meant walking like a drunk at five years old, not being able to stand on one foot, um, having movement spasticity issues on my left-hand side, deafness in my left ear that could not use a hearing aid, a spastic chronic cough and asthma, um, as well as cognitive fatigue um, that led to some mood disorders. And that was it, searching for answers until uh, well into my late 20s when I finally found some doctors that that heard, understood me, and could treat me the way I needed to be treated. It's wonderful. And I think that's a big thing is, is mm-hmm. the doctors that don't understand, aren't willing to help us figure out what's going on. And, you know, just if if you don't do what we think you should do, just move on to someone mm-hmm. else. And, and so when we do find a doctor that that resonates with us. It's like, oh, thank you so much. You know, it's, it's great. 
as I was say with those doctors that I, I treat so many patients now who have been through the ringer like that. And I think there's a shared story among all of us that when we find that doctor that hears and listens and gives us something that works, it is one of the more emotional experiences of our life just to have that as a gift. It's amazing. Absolutely. And I was just talking to my husband about this the other day. We're going through this the doctors where I live are really, really bad. And in fact, um, one couple of months ago, I had gone into the emergency room after I had COVID Mm -hmm. and um, he asked me why I was there. And I said, because I have COVID and I can't breathe. And he says, well, why are you in a wheelchair? And I said, well, I'm in a wheelchair because I have complex regional pain syndrome and I can't walk. I've had 16 surgeries. And he looks at me and he says, you're making that up. I've never heard of it. And I and I honestly said, you've got a smartphone in your hand. Google it. It's complex regional pain syndrome. And that just kind of, you know, shut him up. But most of my doctors, we travel to Nashville, which is a two and a half hour drive from here. But we go to Vanderbilt, which is normally a really good hospital. Mm-hmm. But we went to see a um, orthopedic surgeon there. And she says, I can't help you. you. You're so bad. I can't help you. I'm sending you to this doctor in St. Louis. She's a renowned neurological doctor. You know, she's the one that's going to help you. So I'm going, yay, I don't want to drive all the way. It's a nine hour drive. I don't want to drive all the way to, you know, St. Louis. But if this doctor is going to be able to help me, Mm -hmm. yes. And then I get a message saying, I'm sorry, she's chosen not to work with you. You know, Mm -hmm. so we get all these ups and downs. We pray, we hope to see a doctor that's going to help us. Mm-hmm. And then I went into a different orthopedic doctor a couple of weeks ago. And he says, well, the only thing I can suggest is cutting off your foot. And I went, it's not that bad yet. Thank you anyway. So what do we do? How do we find doctors? You know, and then if you can find a doctor, they're oftentimes alternative medicine, you know, they're holistic. And guess what? They don't accept insurance. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the boat that I am in, in both as both a practitioner and a patient that I am. I'm a chiropractor who specializes in a lot of these conditions and neurological conditions and rehab for patients like me, patients like you. That um, the problem with that is, is that the insurance model does not really work for that kind of healthcare. The insurance model is disease management. And what we really have when I say a healthcare system in the United States is we really have a disease management system. And so I, I, I'm a big picture kind of pick it apart person. I don't know if I'm, if I'm the one that's going to come in and say, here's the solution. But what I do know is that we really have two lanes in in our system here. One of them is disease management. That is what most Americans know when they go to their MDs, when they use their insurance, when they go to the emergency room in urgent care, that's disease management. And boy, are we grateful for that. You know, I needed disease management when I had bacterial meningitis, like nobody's business, Um, car accidents, heart attacks, um, bypass surgeries, all of these things need to be diseases that are managed. 
But that's only a small piece of the pie. What about when we want to manage our health, whatever our health looks like? And if you're at a privileged point of saying, I have an abundance of health, you still need to manage what you have. And if you are someone like me, someone who has um, chronic disabilities, and you have a little bit of a poverty of health, you got a lot more work to manage it, but you need a team to do it. And the people who manage and work with health are people who are doing things like chiropractic and physical therapy, nutritional counseling, lifestyle management, acupuncture, all of these so-called alternative medicines are meant to get to the foundation of what makes you stronger, what makes your body be able to overcome more versus traditional medical, which is to cut out or remove symptoms, mm -hmm. which is sometimes what we need to be able to function, but that is not health that is managing symptoms and disease. And I think if we can start to get this ideology set, then we start looking for answers in the right places. And that's the first step as a patient. The finances and the money and the accessibility, that is a whole nother quagmire. It's its frustrating. And, and I've got a, a person who's a part of the organization right now that we're trying desperately to help. She works, she's almost 60, so she's not really entitled to Medicare or anything yet. Um, she works 30 hours a week. She's a waitress slash bartender at a uh, private club, of a, a military organization. And she gets $6.50 an hour. She does not get benefits. She doesn't get vacation. She's got no insurance. She doesn't work. She doesn't get paid. And she's got a hernia mm. that needs to be operated on. But she's also found out she's got heart issues. And everybody wants to do all these expensive tests and they want surgery and they want, well, they can't do this without this. And she says, you know, it's like $130 to walk in the door of this cardiologist just to talk to them. And she says, I can't, I can't do it. I don't have the finances to do it. Mm -hmm. And she can't even apply for insurance until it's like November, I think is when it opens the, the Obamacare stuff opens and then it doesn't start until January. But she says, you know what? I don't think I can last that long. So she's going around picking up, finding and picking up heavy boxes and things that weigh a ton, hoping that she's going to blow her hernia so that they'll take her into the emergency room and do emergency surgery and, and they will cover it at that point. I go, oh, what can I do? You know, how can we, because she doesn't, because she's earning money and because she's working, she doesn't qualify for Medicaid. She mm -hmm. makes too much, you know, and, and she's just right there in that balancing act and it's so frustrating because I want to help her so badly and I just nothing I found I've even contacted you know government representatives here in the state to say what can we do for people like this and it's just like they don't care most of them have, have lost their jobs as of next year anyway new people coming in and mm -hmm. you know and, and so it's just what do you do? <laughs> it's devastating. And I think because so many of us with these kinds of issues, 
um, there's there's a little bit of a, a baked in assumption. And I know you and I were talking about this a little bit before we hit record about having these disabilities, having things wrong with your wrong, quote unquote, wrong with your body, brain. Um, it's It's a weakness. And so we spend so much time trying to keep this to ourselves and manage our way through life that I think there's a lot of um, misconception about just how many people are suffering and trying to figure it out and where the system leaves so many behind where you fall through the cracks. And, and it really is an emergency health system that much like this person, there's nothing to help her until she is on the brink of death's door. And when we talk about health and health care, it's, it's coming in before everything is in dire straits. I mean, you take something as simple as diabetes, which um, is so prevalent in the United States now. The time to treat diabetes is not when your blood sugar levels are through the roof, when your doctors are ready to put you on metformin. The time to treat diabetes is when you have a resting glucose that's just rising a little bit. And that's when you have all of the access in the world to change things like your diet and lifestyle to, with a really big impact, but we're not slowing down to help these people. We are we are the squeaky wheel that until you know the house is on fire, we're not, I'm mixing all these metaphors, we're not jumping in until, until quite frankly, it's too late until the damage has been done. And we are therefore leaving more people with disability because we're not intervening when health is still an option. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's so sad. And I did a poll on LinkedIn a couple of days ago in a, in a group that I'm in. And I simply asked the question, what do you see when you, or what do you think of when you hear the term chronic illness or chronic disability? And I think it got almost 3000 views on this one post. So it definitely went viral, but the comments that I got were all negative. And it was things like, Oh, the only reason anybody says they have a chronic illness is because they want to justify their being lazy. Mm. Another comment was, well, it's nobody's business. I'm not telling anybody whether I have one or not. And uh, still another one was saying, nobody cares. Why should I say anything? You know, they're just so sad, these comments. And mm. The last statistic I saw was the American Health Association, something like that. The CDC is way behind on their statistics, but this American Physicians, I'm not sure what it was, but it uh, it said that there are 133 million adult Americans that have at least one chronic illness. Mm -hmm. And that can be anything from diabetes to cancer, to heart issues, to asthma, to migraines, to, you know, fibro or mind complex regional pain syndrome, all these different things. But unless people see you in a wheelchair mm -hmm. with a cane, blind, you know, all of these visible things, they don't understand or believe that you have something wrong with you. 
I went, I went to the, uh, a, a meeting the other day and there was actually a doctor there at this meeting. And he goes, he knew that we'd been going through some medical issues here in my family. And he says, well, you look really good today. I know you're feeling great. And I'm going, <laughs> <laughs> you know, through the whole meeting. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that's a major concern slash consideration something to think about talk about how how do you deal with people that if you do have the courage to get up and say i have a disability you just can't see it Mm -hmm. how do people deal with those things well, it's it's a mixed bag, and I, I have a friend who's who has disability that's more vi- more visible. So we kind of trade notes. All of my disabilities are invisible. If I were to get up and walk around, I look like an able-bodied individual. If I am having a really rough day, um, when I had a more recent TBI, a, um, a traumatic brain injury last fall, I just didn't go out in the world. I you know I stayed home a lot. And my, my husband took our daughter to all the birthday parties. And I was just always busy and working because that was easier than trying to explain, um, what was going on with my brain visibly. Um, so I get to choose when I want to share it, which is a very nice privilege. You know, no one is going to see me in a wheelchair and make an assumption about why and what for, and if my condition is actually real or not. But that also means in this regard of why would I tell anybody and whose business is it in this whole laziness business, you will never meet a more motivated individual than someone with an invisible disability that doesn't want you to find out because we are hustling twice as hard so that you don't have any reason to suspect that there is anything going on here. Um, you know, I get preferential seating so that I can hear so that I'm not missing out on classroom time and things of that nature. Um, trying to focus twice as hard so that if I'm having brain fog and brain fatigue that I'm not missing out and and going to um, fail my tests or fail my patients taking extra notes, we have our workarounds. And over the years, I've gotten a little bit more bold and certainly around my patients and with these podcasts sharing really openly about my disability, because I think it's important to know. I think we make so many of, of um, assumptions about able-bodied appearing individuals um, that we start to think the numbers aren't what they are. And we can tell stories about the laziness or, or the unworthiness of people with disability. And it's just crap. And and so most of the time, thankfully, um, I, I share with people about my hearing loss or about my brain injuries or my movement disorders. And I get a lot of love and accolade about you never would know. And oh my goodness, look what you've done with your life. But I also come from the privilege of sharing this as a small business owner who is a doctor. I, I get to immediately put to rest this idea of me being lazy because of how I've hustled through my disability and becoming a doctor isn't, you know, or, or CEO or whatever, isn't in the cards for everybody. And I could see just how easily someone would write me off for the same thing if I was in a different position. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, I, I just, I get so frustrated and Mm -hmm. 
Then, then I come across the people who, and this was one of the comments on the on the post too, was that well, I'm a I'm a um, CEO of my own business, and I have thyroid issues, and they've never bothered me one day in my life, and you know, mm-hmm. just on and on, and I'm going, that's really good, congratulations. Mm-hmm. But do you ever? take a day off because you just don't feel right. And, you know, because you've got your own business, you can shift things around. Or Mm -hmm. have you ever had to cancel an appointment because you've had to go to see the doctor or, you know, Mm -hmm. these, oh, oh, but that's the truth of it, that we really have, I was thinking about this um, last week, I, I, or last month, I should say, I had a chest cold that triggered um, simply an asthmatic attack with a lot of muscle spasm. Um, I, I had to take a week off of work. And, um, and then it was another week before I could really breathe easily again. And, and catch up on sleep and, and catch up on everything when you fall behind here. And I control my own business. So I got to decide when I came back to work, I got to decide how heavy my schedule was going to be, what I could handle and manage. And with the brain injury that I've had, I've controlled my schedule. I've had been in private practice here for eight years and I've controlled my schedule. And so when I have a really bad um, flare up of my cognitive abilities, I cut my patient hours so that I can still be present and do my job. I think constantly how frequently I would have been fired <laughs> uh, if if I had been your average W-2 employee because they're just, can't keep up, just days I can't keep up. Yeah, and that was actually going to be my next question is mm-hmm. we are truly lucky and even mm-hmm. blessed because we do have control over our lives to a large extent. Mm-hmm. We don't have control over our health, unfortunately, but we do have control over what we do and how we live. But for someone who's still in that nine to five work or you know, has a family with three little kids and a husband who wants his dinner on the table when he gets home from work mm-hmm. and, you know, all these kinds of things. It's got to be painful in a way that's not medically painful. <laughs> you know, it's the number of, of women that have lost their jobs, lost their insurance, lost their spouse, lost their family, lost their homes mm-hmm. because of these chronic illnesses. And and yet, well, we're just lazy and we don't want to do anything. You mm-hmm. know, it's just, I want to shake people. But what do we do as a community mm-hmm. who have and get and understand this? And as someone who is a doctor, how do you stand out there and say enough is enough? Yeah. And share with people Mm -hmm. so that eventually maybe something will change. And I I think it comes down to that. You really do have to share. And it's, it's a really big ask on the part of, of the person going through the chronic illness, chronic disability, I mean, it's it's a huge emotional labor, but without us sharing, without us teaching on behalf of our condition, no one is going to know. 
because honestly, people aren't asking the question. We get, we get blanket statements about this is what diabetes is, this, this diabetes is, this is what thyroid issues are. And we think we know. And, and it's really quite misinformed a lot of it. So it's finding that one person, those few people that you can have a really serious, vulnerable conversation with and say, listen, we've been friends for a long time. You are my spouse. You are my family. You are my whatever. And I just, I really, I think I need you to know what my experience is like. And I want to tell you some stories and storytelling is, is always to me the way to go about, because facts don't change anyone's mind. We have all kinds of facts. We have facts that say only 13, 17% of Americans are metabolically, metabolically fit, which means everybody else is kind of falling apart. Um, we have facts about how many people have disability and chronic illness. We have facts about all this. Facts don't matter. When I get a patient of mine, because I have an opportunity to have one-on-one conversations with my patients. When I get a patient of mine or a friend of mine to change their opinion, it's because I've shared a personal story and it requires a lot of vulnerability. And for me, there's usually a lot about what I miss and how I feel as a doctor, as a mother, most often as a mother and a wife where when I had my injury last year, what I could not show up for, what I missed with my daughter, what my husband had to do to keep our household running because he lost his partner for nine months. It's a lot of weight for everybody. And it is not just the burden of the individual with the illness it requires that community of help and support. And those stories help to bridge and pull together that community. And so then my husband knows what it's like for someone with a traumatic brain injury. And when he has someone at work, someone in his circle, in his community that is suffering that, he's able to reach out a little bit differently and set set an example in a way for the community that he is in and I am not. And we get this sort of ripple effect coming out. It's not easy. It's Mm -hmm. not short term. It's going to take a lot of time and energy and hard, hard work. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I think we're on the right track. And it's people like you that are coming on podcasts like this and talking about these issues that are really going to make a difference. And I thank you sincerely for that because it's it's so important and you know we need to we need to hear that there is hope first of all but that we're not the only ones yeah Yeah. I mean I I think about growing up my my best friend um that I've mentioned her before but she she had invisible disabilities as well at the time and here we both were sitting in this high school classroom doing our darndest to show up as normal to show up as able-bodied without the complications that were going through our body. And it was another year and a half or so before we finally had these conversations that started to unwind into, oh, you were faking it. I was faking it. (laughs) I was sick and miserable. And it has become this amazing bonding and we can turn to each other 
when we have a situation of, I don't know how I, you know, to start a new job, how do I want to show up with this to the people in my workplace? Or I'm having a flare up and I'm tired of talking about my flare ups. How do I forgive myself for going through something out of my control again? And that, that is another place where community is really bolstering, you know, cause we can get into our own doom spirals about how our health is and its limitations. And you get someone who, who knows the language and has the empathy and understands what you're going through to tell you the things that, you know, they're going to need to hear one day you can share with each other and lift each other up. And that, that has been well, just priceless. That's, that's beautiful. Um, we're running out of time, but I do have a couple of other questions for you. How does someone with all of these different kinds of chronic diseases mm-hmm. get help from a chiropractor? You know, I've always thought of a chiropractor as, oh, my back's out of joint. What do I need to do to get it stand up straight? How, do, how does a chiropractor help? So chiropractic, there, there's a lot of different uh, breeds of chiropractor to start. So I know a lot of people are familiar with this um, approach that I kind of call Rackham and Crackham, which <laughs> is just really quick adjustments. And honestly, quick in and out adjustments like that are really fantastic for more able-bodied individuals. Um, they can be a lot of sensory input on the body. Um, they can be a lot of changes in quick succession. And you may or may not tolerate that, especially with something like regional pain syndrome or traumatic brain injury. Um, but if you have chronic physical pain uh, disorders, even uh, sciatica, can anything congenital like congenital hip issues, that kind of chiropractic adjustment can be the magic touch to just keep you going, um, putting yourself back in alignment like that. Um, there are other approaches to chiropractic, I do a lot of functional rehab and um, muscle training. So that's going to help with any kind of movement disorder, or if you have um, had repeat surgeries, um, changes to your physical body, um, limbs, prosthetics, these kinds of pieces that change how you inhabit your body, you can learn to re-inhabit your body become comfortable with your skeletal system as it now exists that might be different than the one you had weeks or months ago. And then there's a branch of chiropractic that I think um, just deserves all the attention in the world, and it's called functional neurology. And so this is um, what has been the most instrumental in changing my um, traumatic brain injuries from problems into things that I can forget I have a lot of the time. Um, and that is when, if we don't have frank damage to, to our central nervous system, like strokes or excessive plaquing that you would have in Alzheimer's, um, but coming off, off of concussions, um, inflammatory disorders, long COVID, things of that nature, we can see different systems in our brain, different pathways in our nervous system that aren't firing together and aren't firing in succession in a way that is functional the way we need it. We have one-sided weaknesses, much like if you'd rolled one ankle, it's not as strong as the other ankle and it's going to change the way you walk. So functional neurology uses um, largely our sensory systems, vision, hearing, vestibular, sense of touch, 
um, to strengthen our nervous system back into coordination and alignment. And that is going to help with the brain fog, fatigue, confusion, sensory processing, um, hearing. I am, I am no longer functionally deaf. Um, all of these pieces can really be bolstered and strengthened through a functional neurology treatment. So, um, I think it is just an incredible underused approach to health that I can't say enough good things about. And <laughs> most, if I were to Google chiropractors in Huntsville, mm -hmm. am I going to find someone that does that? <laughs> most, most chiropractors are not functional neurologists. Um, that is a postdoctorate diplomate, so an additional diploma and additional study um, and specialty that you get after. So if you look for functional neurologists um, and, and chiropractors who have that, the Carrick Institute is one of the most popular um, licensing uh, credentials for functional neurology. That is where you would find it. There are only several hundred in the United States with the specialty. Um, but you can find chiropractors who have more of a sports and rehab background, and they are going to be the ones that are really going to focus on more of that biomechanical rehab um, that I talked about just before the functional neurology. Well, it's interesting for myself, and, and I know that a lot of other people have these issues too, but when I said earlier that the last um, orthopedic doctor I went to see wanted to cut off my leg because he said my muscles have mm -hmm. totally disintegrated there's there's nothing left mm. so i can stand i can walk but it's very short mm. yeah and and it's like i can't move my feet my toes all curl under and i can't lift them up and i can't do any of these kinds of things would somebody like that be able to help me? I'm not getting my foot cut off. <laughs> no. And and it very well could, especially when you think about things like um, chronic regional pain syndrome, essentially, and I say this really tongue in cheek because how many of us like you just, you know, talking about this doctor are told you're making it up. It's all in your head. Is that's like, it is really all in your head, but it doesn't mean it's not real is it's how our brain is processing and interpreting and, and your brain um, through a series of events and traumas has decided that pain is really the signal that, that we need. Like that's, that's the way I'm going to know where my hand is, is pain. Um, because our nervous system is really just giving us chemical symptom, uh, chemical signals that go to our brain and then our brain decides how we're going to interpret them. And so we might feel it as ticklishness. We might feel it as sensitivity. We might feel it as pleasurable. We might feel it as neutral or we might feel it as pain or any number of other options. So some of this functional neurology can work on how do we process, how does our brain interpret sensory signals? Um, so it can make changes in chronic regional pain um, syndrome. Uh, misophonia is the interpretation of sound and chewing um, being a painful experience. We can change that processing. Um, hypersensitivity to light. I know there are probably many people listening that need the dark sunglasses to go outside. We are over, I was one of them, those people, um, we are over processing the, the brightness, the signals of light. 
um, which is why I'm wearing my blue light glasses right now. Um, but living in Colorado with 360 days of sunshine a year was really kind of a burden growing up when I just, Portland was my jam. I needed, I needed some cloud cover to help me out. So all of this is going to help challenge and change how we are processing information that comes into our body. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. So I'm going to have to do some research. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to hook you up with with any resources. <laughs> Thank you so much. And is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you need to get out in this last few minutes? <laughs> Mostly just sending a lot of love to anybody who is trying to work their way through it. I wish gentleness upon you, gentleness from yourself. Um, we are our own worst critics when we are in a very ableist world trying to um, keep up with the masses when really it's it's a pace that's been set that nobody's going to win at. So know to do the best you can and, um, you know, look, look for those doctors that have uh, a creative mind and are willing to think outside the box because you are outside the, the box and you deserve someone who's going to meet you there. Amen. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Carly Hudson. We really appreciate this so much and all this wonderful information. I know I learned a lot and I hope our listeners did too. Finally, to wrap up, after a podcast, often people want to know more about some of the things that we're doing at Invisible Entrepreneurs. If you'd like to hop on a Zoom call, my contact information is in the show notes. Dr. Hudson's will be as well. Right now, we're working on our art contest, Beauty Within and Around. What does it look like to live a day in the life of someone with a chronic illness? If, you, if you'd like to showcase your artwork, head on over to invisibleentrepreneurs.org and check out the events page. And we'd love to include your vision of chronic illness. Thanks, guys, for listening. If you have any questions or would like to share ideas for future topics, send me a message at nancy at invisibleentrepreneurs.org. And we'll see if we can't get that arranged. But until next time, get out there, be productive have hope, and live your best life. You've got this. Take care, y'all, and we'll talk again soon. Bye-bye.